you. I appreciate that. You make up for some lost time, so that's good. Judges chapter 7 is where we're at this evening. Judges chapter 7, as we uh, continue to talk about Gideon, and we're getting to the, to the battle part of this story. Uh, such a, a rich couple of chapters that we have and things we can learn from the story of Gideon and the things that he, uh, how God used him in such a great and mighty way. An unlikely man for the mission, an un- unlikely man for an unlikely mission, and uh, God did a great thing. For seven long years, the Midianites had assaulted the Israelites every year at harvest time. We know they moved in and they, uh, they plundered and they took uh, the things that the Israelites had been working for. They terrorized them. Uh, no one dared lift a hand against them. They seemed invincible. They seemed undefeatable. Uh, yet when we face anything that seems to be impossible to uh, win victory over, like an addiction or, a, or any problem in our path, understand we serve a God that makes all things possible. And he thrives in using weakness to bring about victory. So God raised up Gideon to be Israel's deliverer. And with a small group of 300 soldiers, we've talked about this already, how they whittled, God whittled that crowd down to 300 soldiers. Tonight we're going to see the unique plan of attack that uh, Gideon would use to defeat the Midianites. It was a victory of major proportions. So great is the defeat of the Midianites in this passage that they are never again recorded in Scripture as being enemies of Israel because they were taken care of. God helped them defeat for once and for all the Midianites. In this passage, or this message I should say, I want to take a detailed look at the defeat and uh, really we might not actually get yet to the completely the end of the battle, but as we work through it and what God had for him. We start reading in verse number 16 of Judges chapter 7. The Bible says, And he divided the 300 men into three companies and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. And he said unto them, Look on me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall ye do. When I blow with a trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of all the camp, and say, The sword of the Lord and Gideon. Now we might read on further, but that's where we'll end for right now, and we'll get to work through these verses as uh, in our Kind of our pattern has been on, on Wednesday night Bible study, just work through these verses one at a time, see what God has for us. So let's ask him as we begin. Father, I thank you for the time we have and for your word. May it be clear tonight and may we apply it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we see here the strategy for the victory. Gideon led his 300 men in one of the shrewdest and strangest attacks that has ever been executed by any military group. A.F. Muir said the strategy of Gideon is one of the military marvels of antiquity. Uh, the, the, going back, uh, we, we had just talked last week about Gideon spying on the Midianites, and he had heard the telling of the dream by one of the Midianite soldiers. And so this inspired him. He comes back and immediately divides the 300 men into three groups. Now this was done so they could be stationed on the hills, as it says in verse 18, on every side of the camp. Uh, this was a smart move because as the attack began, the Midianites would think that they are surrounded by Israel on all sides. Now this, of course, would have to do, would do a lot more to worry the Midianites, thinking that uh, not knowing how many, but yet knowing that they're surrounded on all sides here rather than if the attack only came in one direction. 
uh, also located uh, on the hills surrounding the Midianites. This is where they were at. Uh, the host of, the Midian, of Midian, the Bible says in verse 8, was beneath him in the valley. So Gideon had an additional advantage in surrounding the Midianites. It's a lot easier to attack your opponent from a hill than a valley. And so he had that going for him as well. Uh, now, as we said, he had stationed the men into three different groups to surround the Midianites on three sides. There was an exit left for the Midianites uh, to flee toward their homeland. Uh, they, there was an opening on the eastern side of the valley where the hills would not block their path. And this was so they could retreat back to where they came from. And uh, that means that the Gideon's army here, the three groups, would be on the southwest and north side of the camp. Now this uh, positioning was very important. Everything he did was very important here uh, because as it is in any attack, if you are going to attack, you want the time, you want the placement, you want all that to be just on point. Every soldier had to be right where Gideon told them they had to be if this attack was to be successful. A soldier could not go where he was not appointed to go. He had to be right where, and you see Gideon telling him exactly what to do. And if this attack was to be successful, every one of these 300 soldiers, remember, they've got 450 to 1. So it's very important that they're where they need to be. Now, Christian service in our life is no different. We've all been assigned a place by God. Now, we may not like where we're assigned. Sometimes, uh, I remember going to Bible college, and uh, we, we would talk about this as, as young people, thinking about where God wants us to serve and all this. And, and sometimes there's a little bit of fear uh, to completely surrender to God because He might put you in a place like North Korea. We just had a, had a missionary here for North Korea, or, or even worse, South Dakota. You know, a place like that where it gets really cold. And uh, I'm joking, I love it here. I, I thank God often, especially during this season, that he moved me from the People's Republic of Michigan to a free state. Amen? I'm thankful for that, and I'm grateful to live where we are. But, uh, but, but like it or not, we ought not question it. There's a, desi there's a divine design in where God places us. And so when all of us are in the proper place, it'll cause the work of God to go efficiently. When a Christian is in the wrong place, his right place is empty. And so we need to be where God wants us to be. By the way, this is important. I remember as a youth pastor, uh, it always saddened me. We had a Christian school. Every year I would take the, the seniors and juniors to, a, uh, to visit different Bible colleges, and we really, really tried to uh, push young people to go to Bible college. And often the biggest opponents to that was parents who were afraid that their child might be called to some mission field somewhere, when they had the idea they should be a doctor or a, or a lawyer, I don't know if a Christian would want to be a lawyer, but uh, you know what I mean, just a, a successful job in the States. Now, uh, if God wants our child to go in the mission field, we better be behind that plan, amen? Because the safest place for anyone to be is right in the middle of God's will. I sat enthralled by Brother McBriar's stories uh, that we just had and uh, his, his, uh, just all that God uses him for in a closed country, and uh, it, it, it just, uh, it, it just it's enthralling to hear all that God does, but I have to remember the safest place for him to be is right back in right where God wants him to be. And so we need to have, to, and you have to wonder, how many of God's people today in Christianity are out of place? We see shortages for Christian workers in the church. Uh, we see a stagnation of the work of God. Less than uh, you, more, less people are going on the mission field 
large numbers less than are coming off of the mission field. Less than 5% of believers have led a soul to Christ. Think about that. How effective are we in bringing people to Christ? Uh, the lack of service is not to be blamed on God. God has his people doing what he wants them to do, or he has the plan for us, the place for us. The problem lies right at the feet of God's people. Now, to correct that problem, what's the answer? Well, we need to yield ourselves to the Lord. Be where he wants us to be. Do what he tells us to do. If God pricks your conscience to talk to somebody or to hand a track to somebody, we do what he tells us to do. Each soldier had to be right where they were supposed to be. And we had better let God choose where to place us if we're going to be any use to him. Now look at the munitions. <laughs> the soldiers were equipped with some very strange equipment. He put a trump, verse 16, he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. Now the trumpet. Just to give you a picture in your mind, it's that ram's horn. Have you seen those ram's horn that you, you blow in it and make a loud noise? Uh, that's what we're call, actually called trofer or chauffeurs, I think. And that's what we're talking about here. Uh, today we think of the trumpet being a mus musical instrument, but then uh, in that day, uh, even though there was, sometimes they were used for music, Psalm 150 verse 3 talks about that, but for most of the time they were used for battle or used to herald announcements or used in special occasions. Uh, the priests would use them to signal special days and feasts. It was used often to call men to war, to battle, to announce an attack, uh, to end an attack, or uh, to announce the outcome of a war. All these things, it was connected with battle. In Judges chapter 6, verse 34, we saw a couple of weeks ago, remember when Gideon blew the trumpet to call men to war. Now the pitcher was the second item they were given. This would have been a jug for drawing water. Uh, the word, uh, the original word for pitcher is kad, K-A-D in the Hebrew language, and it means a large jar. It had to be large enough to hold the, uh, to hold the torch there within it uh, to give an adequate oxygen for the fire that was going on within it. No doubt they were clay uh, so that they were easily broken. And then they had lamps. Uh, they were, the original word for lamps literally means torches, so they were uh, some sort of flaming torch made of wood, probably covered with some kind of pitchy substance. Uh, this is their battle equipment. I mean, prefer an M16, right? But they weren't given that. They were given a pitcher, a torch, and, uh, or a lamp, and a trumpet. Here, we are going to take on this 135,000 army, you 300 men, here are your battle weapons. Everybody come by and there's a pile of trumpets here. And there's a pile. I mean, imagine where their mind had to be. Think about that because we're going to get into this just a little bit. Uh, the, the, uh, the equipment, honestly, let's just be honest, is ridiculous. Okay, it, you're taking these things to battle, to defeat a much larger army. It's ridiculous. Uh, just like it was for Joshua to take the city of Jericho and God says, yeah, I'm going to help you take the city of Jericho, walk around it. And that was it. They just walked around it. And uh, it reminds us of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.27, God hath chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And he had chosen the weak things of this world to confound the mighty. And the base things of this world and things which are despised, God hath chosen. Yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught things that are. God chooses Weak things. He uses 
uh, chooses foolish things once in a while. Why does he do this? Well, Paul answers that question in the very next verse, verse 29 of 1 Corinthians 1, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Gideon's army had been reduced to 300 for just that purpose. No one would, would give the glory to 300 men of defeating the Midianite army. Obviously, that glory is going to get, go to God. And just in case they might get the glory, let me give you a trumpet, a jar, and a, a flaming stick. That's what you're going to go to battle with. And uh, we're going to make sure God gets the glory here. Hey, God wants the glory in what you do too. He wants the glory for what we do. And so he often asks things of us that are above our ability level. Amen? And uh, sometimes we have to trust him in that. I have a sign I just hung in my office uh, because I'm not that smart. I need things to remind me once in a while. I have a sign I hung up. There's nothing great has ever been done within a comfort zone. Uh, God asks us sometimes to step outside of our comfort zone. And so, uh, because He, through His power, we can do great things, and not in our own power, but with Him. The early church demonstrated this truth. They used what was weak and despised in the eyes of the world to do God's work. Simple men, the disciples, simple men. I mean, in today's vernacular, hillbillies, all right? They were not learned, they were not... They have PhD behind their name. They just were simple men, yet they were used to revolutionize the world. Acts says that they turned the world upside down. Why? God working through them. Not their own power. They effectively carried the gospel to many men and nations. The early church, like Gideon's army, lacked what we might think is necessary today to reach the world. They had no internet. They had no cell phones. Did you know that the Pentecost message of Peter was not live streamed anywhere. It was just him right there that day. Paul, he had no GoFundMes when he was in prison to support him or to support his missionary journeys. Uh, like Gideon's army, they were lacking what we might think today is very necessary, but you know what they did have? They had the power of God behind them. And by the power of God, they got the work done. By the power of God, Gideon's army uh, won the battle. And it's sad, but today... Uh, that is missing in so many of our lives, in our Christian lives, and it's missing in so many of our churches. Only the fact that it's missing is not the worst part about it. The worst part about it is we don't miss it. And that's a sad thing. We ought to be more interested not in weaponry that are impressive to the world around us, but the weaponry that matters, and that is the power of God. That's really what's going to matter. All right, so we see the maneuvering, the munitions, now look at the mandate. The groups were sent to their posts here with an important order from Gideon. He commanded them in verse 17, Look on me and do likewise, and behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall ye do. Uh, it's no matter that it was dark, uh, that when he would blow the trumpet and break his pitcher, and the torch then could be easily seen, they would be able to follow suit. The important thing here is that the soldiers were to follow Gideon's example. Uh, what he did, they were to do if they're going to get victory over the enemy. Now, I see two just things I want to pull out of here uh, as far as this lessons out of this uh, passage, and that is that Christ as an example. We need to look on Christ as an example. Here you see Gideon. Hey, what I do, that's what I want you to do. Well, we have an example as well in our life. Jesus Christ ought to be our primary example uh, when we follow the Lord Jesus Christ as our captain, 
uh, he, he, uh, he has directives for us just like Gideon did. In fact, his directive is the same as Gideon's was. Look at what he says in 1 Peter 2.21. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example or an example that we might follow his steps. We're to follow the example of Christ. Never, I was never a fan of these bracelets, WWJD. I don't see them much anymore, but you know, 20, 10, 15 years ago, all kinds of people wore them, WWJD. If you're wearing one right now, don't hide it. It's all right. But I just wasn't a big fan of it because I saw a lot of people wearing them that cursed like sailors, that didn't go to church, that didn't have any... Uh, it just supposedly this was some kind of going to make you better. People that don't care, what would Jesus do? That, by the way, if you don't know, what would Jesus do? And that's what people would wear. Uh, we ought to be more concerned about what would Jesus do and actually following it, amen, and doing what he says rather than just put it on a bracelet and not uh, think about it again. But that's what we are supposed to live, actually. What would Jesus do? How would Jesus handle the situation? Uh, it's fitting that Peter... In 1 Peter 2.21, referred to Christ as our example, he would remember a very clear message that he had been given personally when they were in the upper room. Remember Jesus, uh, while they were in the middle of arguing who is the greatest? <laughs> I'm the greatest. No, I'm the I mean, that's what 10, 12-year-old boys do. But no, here are the disciples. Arguing about who's the greatest, Jesus quietly gets up, goes get a basin of water, uh, puts a towel on his shoulder, and he starts to come around and wash the disciples' feet. Remember what he said when he came to Peter? Or what Peter said? <laughs> you ain't going to touch my feet. That might not use the word ain't, but he said, you're not touching my feet. Jesus answered, if you, uh, if, in essence, if you don't take this, you have none of me. And so Peter then, he was a person of extremes. Don't wash my feet only, but my whole body. Uh, so that, he would have remembered this. And after Jesus had washed the disciples' feet, he ended with this instruction in John 13, 15. I've given you an example that you should do as I have done unto you. Jesus gave us example after example after example in the Bible as to how we should live. The Beatitudes is a great one in uh, Matthew 5. We never go wrong following his example. We have a, a, the problem we have today is that even in our churches, even Christians, we follow the wrong examples. We put the wrong examples in front of our children. We make heroes of the world and our, our, our allow our children to make heroes in the world, and uh, then we emulate them, and often our ch children try to emulate them. And these are heroes who live trashy lives morally, uh, who use profane language, who mock biblical values. That, I'm really going to step on toes here, including my own, so it's okay. But it even bothers me a little bit uh, how often uh, I, I would see my own kids uh, you know, boys, Batman, Superman stuff, and you know, it's, I know I'm not knocking. If your kids wear that, that's fine. My grandkids wear it, and they are closer to superheroes than most kids. But, but uh, uh, you know, I, I I've thought about that myself as I look on that. You know, uh, is is Batman a bigger hero to my son than than the Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, nothing wrong with wearing a Batman shirt, all right. But uh, you know what I'm saying. Let's just be careful about what we allow to be heroes in our children's lives. Uh, we certainly, listen, we will not defeat our enemies spiritually if worldly people are going to be our heroes. What is your example? Uh, follow me, Jesus said, and followed his example. So Christ is an example. Secondly, 
Christians as an example. Gideon not only represents Christ here as an example we're to follow, he also represents what every believer ought to be for others. Gideon was an example to his fellow man on how to act, how to have victory. Hey, do what I do, and we're going to have victory. God's going to give us the victory. We should follow the examples of godly men. We should be an example to weaker Christians. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12, Be thou an example to all believers. I think all of us should take that directive on. Uh, he also told Titus in uh, Titus 2.7, In all things be a pattern of good works. How sad that so many Christians are a pattern of the opposite of disobedience. Show us how not to act. I, I don't even know if it's true. I've heard it many places that it is, and then I've seen some places say it's not. But supposedly, Gandhi uh, made the statement once that I would, I would definitely today be a Christian were it not for Christians. Now, whether he said it or not, how many people could say that? I'd be a Christian were it not for Christians. I love what Pastor said a few minutes ago, being the only Bible some people read. You, you and, and Paul called it the epistle written on the hearts of men. That's what we are. We are, we are to, to many people, we are the only Bible. You strap on the name tag Christian, or you got your fish on your car, or some way you're identifying that you're a Christian, then you are going to be watched and read of others. What are they reading? It's a great, I love how that ties in because that's so true. We need to be an example to others. We need to do today, I think it would even be good tonight for us to do a spiritual inventory and see, does my life, if somebody followed my example, would they be going the right direction? It's a convicting question, isn't it? Somebody I work with, if they're doing what I do, I'm going to live my life after Cody. Whatever he does, I'm going to do. Is that a good thing for me? Amen. That's a good question to ask, isn't it? Yeah, all of us. If, uh, if, I follow, if somebody follows you, are they going the right direction? Can you honestly say with Paul when he said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I follow Christ. All right. We need to be an example uh, to other Christians. All right, let's look at the moment of the attack. The timing was well-timed. It came, the Bible says in verse 19, uh, so Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. They had but newly set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that were in their hands. So uh, this uh, was a wise move uh, by Gideon for two reasons. It was a time of darkness. The middle watch was the middle of night. Now, most scholars tell us this would have been right at midnight. To attack in the dead of night would give the advantage of darkness. By the way, attacking at night would keep the Midianites from seeing just how small Gideon's army was. Can you see them attacking by day? The Midianites would have burst out laughing. A little group of people over here, 300 guys, it'd be like a kindergarten class, you know, storming a bunch of Navy SEALs. Uh, it would have been a joke. But middle of the night, things are a little different. It would give the uh, uh, element of surprise. It would create chaos, as we will see and confusion in the camp. Now, remember that Gideon's attack is the judgment of God on evil. We have a clear example here of the danger of walking in the darkness of sin. Those who walk in darkness are often unprepared for divine judgment when it comes. 
as the Midianites were here. It'll come on them unawares. That's what Jesus said in Luke 21, 34, and take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, so that in that day come upon you unawares. We cannot live in sin and not expect divine judgment. It's going to come. And it'll often come unawares when we least expect it. But you continue to live in rebellion against God, and one day God's judgment, like Gideon's surprise attack here, will come, and it'll come swiftly. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 1, the Bible says, you'll be suddenly destroyed, and that without remedy. It's a good reminder for us. It was only, not only was it a time of darkness, it was a time of distraction. The attack came, and this is important that this is mentioned, when the watch was but newly set. That meant it came in a time when the watch was at its poorest. The changing of the watch is a very vulnerable time. The transition from one watch to the other, there would be a temporary distraction from surveillance. They're just settling in or they're just leaving, and uh, things are a little bit unsettled at that time. One watch is ending its vigilance. The other is about to begin, but there's that middle time when, when people are kind of uh, just distracted. The quality of the watch during this transitional time would be at its weakest. Everything, this attack had everything to do, well, the darkness and then with distraction. The timing was right on. God knew what he was doing when he instructed Gideon. When it comes to distraction, God's people need to be careful, so careful in today's day and age. You can't do big things if you're distracted by small things. And oh, are we not distracted. We are in the most distra- I know I deal with it more than I've ever dealt with it in my life, distractions. Uh, trying to study. The, the, the distractions are endless. And I don't even have, I mean, the phone doesn't ring all day off the hook. I don't have that many people coming in and out. Uh, you'd think I'd be able, but you've got the distraction of the cell phone. You've got the distraction of... Uh, of uh, email coming in and all these different things happening, texts and all that. Today, oh man, Satan himself showed up today in the form of a fly. Five hours. I'm not, ki- I'm not stretching it. I'm not preaching. I'm telling the truth. Uh, five hours of this fly just buzzing, and then it would land here, and, then it would, and it was taunting me. I could hear it, and then the buzz, I could hear, you can't kill me, you can't kill me, you can't kill me, and I tried, and I tried. It was about 3 o'clock this afternoon when I finally got that bad boy and sent it to the depths of the damned. But uh, distractions, it, and, and it seems something silly, but it, it, it just, it, we have, all around us we have distractions. But to be careful, we have to, that's why the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant. The devil seeketh to uh, the devil is a roaring lion, walketh around seeking how uh, to destroy you. We are to be uh, sober. What are we sober because of the distractions? I've said it often. I'll say it again. The devil does not need to deceive you if he can distract you, and we have been distracted. I promise you. Whenever God's people let down their guard, evil will strike. Gideon knew just when to strike the Midianites. I can tell you this. That evil also knows when it's a good time to attack in your life. When you're distracted. We need to be careful. Be sober. Be vigilant. We're to be good stewards uh, of our time. This attack showed that Gideon was a good steward of his circumstances as well. They were very limited. Again, look at the, look at the battle equipment. A pitcher. A horn. 
Think of these soldiers. Man, what did I sign? I thought we were here to fight. <laughs> I've got a, a pitcher and a lamp and a horn. And that's what they were going to go to battle with. But he attacked. Gideon used every advantage he had. He was a good steward with what he did have. Listen, we're to be good stewards of our circumstances or situations that God gives us, even if they seem limited, and sometimes they do. God limited Gideon to a very small army, but Gideon made the best of it. He did the best he could with what he had. A small army attacking at the right time does more damage than a big army attacking at the wrong time, and that's what Gideon did. He took every advantage. Can I encourage you tonight as a Christian, don't sit around moping and complaining about the opportunities that you don't have. Use the opportunities that you do have. We have plenty of them that we can take advantage of. Gideon could have done a lot of complaining about his situation, a lot. <laughs> I mean, really. The, the, uh, the, the hordes of the Midianites were like grasshoppers. I mean, and he had this small band of men. But he didn't complain. He busied himself using the advantages he did have. We could do more for God if we just complained less and used what we do have wisely. Uh, get busy doing what we can do. If you have only have a little money, do what you can to budget that well. And rather than complaining about the lack of it, try to do what you can with what God's blessed you with. If you have few talents to be able to do things in the church, spend time developing the talents that you do have. Everyone in this room can do something, something better than anyone else in this room. I found that to be true about people. Everyone can do something better than everyone else. Why? Because God gives us each unique abilities and gifts. Instead of the lamenting about the lack of ability to serve, get involved where you can. If you're limited in many areas, uh, in all of these areas maybe, but you have more time, use that time for the Lord. Maybe you have no abilities and no money, but you got some time. I can promise you, with, with time, you can do some things for God. I'm just saying, use what you have. God does not expect you to be a steward of what you don't have. He expects you to be a steward of what you do have, though. Let's take advantage of it. That's what Gideon did. He just used what he literally had uh, for the best, uh, to the best of his ability. Now, we're going <clears> to... <throat> I'll probably close here because I want to move into the manner of attack. And this is... Uh, it had five aspects to the attack that I would want to break down next week and get into. Um, but uh, this is where it gets... <laughs> this gets odd when we start to look how the battle ended. And I want to use the word odd. Abnormal. Okay, this wasn't your normal battle. God did something in the hearts of those Midianites and he used Gideon and his 300. Boy, oh boy, what, he, what a great work he did. The Bible does not as explicitly say that Gideon was instructed to do all these things just as he did them. But I have to think that God did tell him to do it just as he did it because no man would come up with this strategy. Nobody. You know, Lord, you only gave me 300 men. I had to take that 135,000. Tell you what I really need. I need to get me some pictures. I need to get me some horns. We'll take those. No. This was God showing what he could do if you'll be obedient, even when it doesn't make sense. Oh man, it don't make sense. But they were still obedient. I want to get into next week about getting into the mind of the soldier when they had to break that picture. Think about that moment when uh 
they, they, it was no longer theory. Now they were exposing themselves. What are we going to do for the Lord? Father, thank you for this prayer.